This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. Parenting can seem never-ending, but it doesn't have to be. Later bedtime hours for children are extending parenting duty by several hours. Even worse, the later bedtimes are robbing our children and ourselves of much-needed privacy and rest. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about how to create an evening routine that works for parents and children. One of the biggest components of this is going to be to turn off technology. I know the prospect of cutting off a child from a social media app or a video game can feel like depriving them of oxygen, and the ensuing temper tantrums and irritability are sure signs that children are spending too much time in front of screens. And let's not forget about adults. A lot of surveys are showing now that adults are spending seven hours a day in front of their screens for personal use, and when you combine that with work use, it's over nine hours a day. So the kids are hardly alone in needing to have that technology turned off. By focusing on a two-hour window every evening, you're going to be able to meet your child's needs while also meeting your own. We'll talk about how you can bond with your children over a nutritious dinner, how to help your children with their homework, how to read with your children before bed, how to get the kids to bed at a reasonable hour, and how to enjoy some me time after the kids are in bed. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes, and you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to. Nope. I'm sure you've got a perfectly good excuse. Kids, work, <laughs> I get it. You're busy. So what better time than now? Let's begin. Raise one finger if you're a man. Ladies, none yet. Oh, count in your head if you're driving. Now, three more fingers for everyone over 60, two over 50, one over 40, one more if you're not physically active, another finger if anyone in your family has type 2 diabetes, another if you've got high blood pressure. If you're overweight, raise another finger, two if you're very overweight, and three if you're really overweight. You've just taken the world's first audio prediabetes test. And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Heather Miller, who is the author of Primetime Parenting, the two-hour-a-day secret to raising great kids. Heather, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. So you're going to pack all of parenting into just two hours. What do you do with the other 22? <laughs> well, the idea is that, you know, with the advent of cell phones and, you know, uh, digital media, um, parenting has sort of become never-ending. Um, you know, schools, which, you know, in earlier years would have sort of dealt with problems as they came up and giving you a call in the evening, have a tendency to communicate with parents sort of on the spot, even in the middle of a work day, uh, for things that, you know, often could be dealt with a bit later. Um, and parents are also uh, have experiencing a sort of blurring of the line between their working hours and their parenting hours because of the ability to be reached at any, uh, any moment. 
And so I think what primetime parenting with a two-hour routine, and this is for school nights, um, mostly between 6 p.m. and 8 p.m., it's advocating an idea that between those two hours, you're really focusing exclusively on your children, and you're not checking your phone for various messages. You're not chatting with your sister, either via you know Facebook or um, on the phone. You're really just exclusively focused on the many tasks that parents have to take care of um, on school nights, which include everything from checking in with the kids, making sure that they, you know, you get a chance to hear about their day, to um, helping them get set up with homework, to cooking a healthy dinner, having a family dinner, which is incredibly important in all kinds right. of ways. Yeah, I want to get and into then, want know, to get into them, the components of it here in in some sure. detail, but yeah, so we're talking about that really the the difference between this two hour prime time period and and everything else is that this is really a a, a period of intense focus. And well, not yeah, I guess intense focus, but also time. eliminating mm-hmm. eliminating distractions. Exactly, and the, one of the benefits of it is is that you really do hit all the bases with what parents need to do with their children every day. But then you also kind of get your kids to bed at a reasonable hour, which tends to be a bit earlier than most parents are are managing. So you know, primetime parenting is for kids ages five to thirteen. And a good bedtime for most kids in that age group would be about 8 or 8.30 p.m. And the beauty of that is if they do get to bed at that hour, not only do they get enough sleep, but parents get, you know, a couple of hours to themselves, which is also critically important for them to recharge and work on their own adult relationships. So everyone benefits from, from primetime parenting. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's go through the, the time part of it. Sure. Um, you said it's it's generally from six to eight p.m. Is that be, you? You have it set there so that it it's can encompass but, dinner and then yeah. it gets you close to bedtime. Exactly. I mean, of course, there's flexibility there, and every family would need to adapt it for their own uh, personal scheduling needs. But I would say somewhere between you, know, you should start somewhere between six and six thirty, and end somewhere between eight and eight thirty. Principally because you want to get the kids to bed really no later by 8.30. Again, this is 5 to 13-year-olds. Teenagers would be a bit different. But that really enables them to have the 10 to 11 hours that most children in that age group need uh, in order to perform optimally at school and also to be um, in a good mood. You know, when children are sleep-deprived, they tend to act out. They tend to be cranky. They tend to have difficulty concentrating. So it makes a big difference to to how happy they are the rest of the time. So I just want to make sure that so so there's you're not out shopping during this time. That the, hopefully no. you would have done that all. Okay, so this is this, these two hours are taking place in your home. In your home, exactly. Okay, and, all right. Because so when you, know, you said cranky, that just my my associations with cranky are often have to do with shopping. Because you're you're out there doing you know trying to do something when the kids are already hungry or they have other needs yeah. and yeah, yeah so okay so we're we're at home in a controlled environment mm-hmm. uh, okay so what so <laughs> it, it starts off the first half hour so you say six to six thirty there's right. you're calling that the huddle yeah I'm calling that the huddle so whether you're an at home parent or a parent who works outside of the home I would think of six to six thirty is the time when the you know, evening hours begin, and that's when you're making a conscious point of checking in with your children, talking about their day a little bit, 
opening up the homework um, assignments, uh, looking at what's on the docket for this evening in terms of homework, and getting them set up to begin homework while you then begin dinner. And that's, you know, a time when you're kind of doing a bit of dividing and conquering. You want to get your children um, set up to start doing some homework independently while you are cooking. And, of course, you're going to be checking in on them. But it's the chance for them to show that they can actually do some work without someone hovering over them every moment of the, of, you know, the time. Yeah. Um, and knock out a couple of those assignments, you know, in time for dinner. So by 630, uh, dinner is, is happening. And that's, uh, you know, a half hour, 630 to 7 is a family dinner where everyone's sitting around the table um, having a rich conversation, and we all know that family dinner is probably the most important thing you could do for your children. It's more important than reading to your children, incredibly, in terms of their academic performance. It's a, a stronger predictor of academic success than even reading to your children. Incredible. Well, let, wait, let's, also, let's, uh, hmm? let's go back to the huddle part of it. So you're, yeah. you're hopefully, <laughs> make, I don't know, the, the, the prospect of getting a whole dinner made in a half an hour can be uh, uh-huh. I guess that could be a lot for some people or not nearly enough mm-hmm. time for it, but we'll just go call it a, an average amount of time. But I, I wanted to ask about the homework part because sure. one of the components of this whole program of yours, the primetime parenting, involves, I don't want to say completely disconnecting, but largely disconnecting from technology. And even kids mm-hmm. 5 to 13, the age that you're talking about, a lot mm-hmm. of them need their computers mm-hmm. or tablets or something to get their homework done. Right. So how are you incorporating that? Or are you trying to get them to do the assignments that don't involve technology? Or are you, is that what the checking in is about? Well, I think that, um, first of all, I'm not anti-technology. I'm anti it being uh, something that we can't get away from. I think it's healthy you know, being a healthy user of technology is knowing when it's useful to you and when it's not. Now, as an educator myself, I would not particularly advocate the use of um, screens or tablets in homework for children 10 and under. I just don't think that there is enough of a, uh, a value add there um, for the potential um, risks of over um, screen use. Um, but, you know, for kids whose schools have decided that they're going to use screens, and that's fair enough, and you're using screens um, to do your homework, and I don't have, you know, I don't have obviously an overriding objection. I'm not going to suggest that you don't do the homework that's been assigned well, no, that way. That wouldn't be right, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's perfectly fine if, you're, if your child's school um, has them using tablets or computers to do their homework, and that's what they would do. Okay. Good. And so you're off making yeah. making dinner, and then hopefully around a half an hour or so, they've gotten pretty well set up, and then there's going to be dinner, and you're going to be having the conversations you talked about. So there's a break from homework, right? Is there's that... a break for homework, exactly. There's a half okay. hour, and there's a half hour of dinner, which is a break. And one of the other things that I recommend for kids between ages of 5 and 13 is that they do their homework at the dining table or the kitchen table or wherever it is that you have a kind of central table in your home because kids in that age group actually benefit from company, you know, uh, not necessarily supervision, but company. Um, a lot of the ways that they kind of um, try to get out of doing homework has more to do really with loneliness, you know, than um, avoidance of work. 
um, these kids at that age group really want mom and dad's company or the company of whatever caring adult is around. Yeah. So I would put them together at a, at a central table. And then if that's the dining table, they would clear it for dinner. And then after dinner, they, you know, set it up again for homework. And then it feels more like a group activity and less like you're being sort of punished, you know, by having to sit alone and do some work. Talking with Heather Miller, who is the author of Primetime Parenting. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Heather about what happens during dinner. I want to get a little bit more detail besides just talk to the kids. And also what's going on after dinner, which is is the the big part of primetime parenting. Uh, I'm Armin Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this. From the MrDad.com radio network. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. You hear it every time you finish a meal and never feel anything. But if we were able to associate this sound with a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask. Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change your after-meal behaviour through brainwashing. Because food waste costs the average family $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. And 1500 extra bucks is like getting a pay raise. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Which could pay for your child's braces. Save the food. Cha-ching. You're promoted. Check out my braces. So when you hear this sound, rethink your behaviour. Cook it. Store it. Share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. Chris, can you put the video game controller down for a second? I can talk and play. Oh, I'm totally annihilating this punk kid in Nebraska. I just feel like you're not acting like a grown-up in our relationship. M2, M2! Well, you know, you still ride your skateboard to work, there's the comic book collection, the race car bed. Look, I'm young at heart, but I put money to my 401k every paycheck. I picked up a few savings tips at feedthepig.org. I have control of my financial life now, and that feels pretty grown up. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. For free ideas and easy tips on ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. So, I bet I look like a grown up to you now. Well, except for the footy pajamas, I'd have to agree. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm Armin Brat talking with Heather Miller, who's the author of Primetime Parenting, the two-hour-a-day secret to raising great kids. So here we are at dinner, and I, mm-hmm. I mean, this will sound like a silly question, but I, I think a lot of people dread, in a way, family dinners for this yeah. reason. What do you talk about? Well, of course, we all have the experience of asking our children what they learned that day at school and getting very unsatisfactory answers, (laughs) one-word answers. Um, Kids actually like to hear, you know, it takes some some time to warm most kids up. And a good way to start is to tell them a little bit about your day or to tell them about something that happened um, in your childhood at school. And then they might start typing up about their own experiences. Um, other ways of getting the conversation going is to be sort of observational and say, you know, I noticed something on the way to work. I saw, 
you know, this thing, and it made me think of that, and what do you think of that? Um, essentially, if the parents show some enthusiasm for having a conversation themselves, the kids will pick up on that cue and start um, contributing. Um, it's more when we try to turn it into kind of an academic exercise where it feels like you're being put on the spot and you have to report in, you know, that that doesn't feel very pleasant. So I think it's so important that we have these kinds of um, conversations that meander and go this way and that, and we don't have necessarily an agenda for it. It's more about kind of exchanging, you know, one's experiences of the day, one's thoughts, one's observations, and seeing if your kids have something that they would like to add. Um, and then people start getting into it and they start actually enjoying uh, conversations. I think another yeah. thing that's really important in today's world, we're seeing at, in every socioeconomic level, not just among you know, one class of kid or another, we're seeing a lack of face-to-face -face interaction, a lack of eye oh, yeah. contact, yeah. a lack of empathy. And that is 100%, in my opinion, due to being raised by parents who are constantly looking at screens themselves. And so they're not getting good enough modeling of what it feels like to have eye contact um, and how good it feels to be the object of someone's attention and interest um, over a sustained conversation. Yeah. So that's one of the gifts of our family dinner. And just to, to reiterate this idea, it's not about grilling the kids. No. It's no. about engaging them in a conversation, which means that you may want to tell them about your day too. Absolutely. And I think parents often really underestimate how much their kids enjoy hearing about their own childhood. So or stories from their childhoods or stories about their grandparents. Children really, really love those stories. And it's yeah. very good for them oh, yeah. intellectually, too. Um, yeah. It introduces a range of um, tenses and moods and voices, grammatically speaking, that they wouldn't otherwise hear when we start talking about the past. And it just expands their understanding of, of time and history and the world and the way the world changes. Um, there's no way that you can lose with those stories, even if they're rolling their eyes at you as they turn in, you know, as they get into the middle school years and yeah. they tend to do that kind of thing. They are secretly enjoying it. <laughs> so I think that's a really good place to start. All right. So dinner's over. Hopefully the kids are yep. involved in clearing the table and loading the dishwasher and all that stuff. And Actually, I would dis Ooh. I would disagree with you there. I, okay. I would have them clear the table. <laughs> I would have them clear the table, but especially if your kids are going to a school with a significant amount of homework, I would have it end at clearing the table and have have them back at the table doing uh, their work. Okay. And I would also recommend having parents not do the dishes until the kids are in bed. Okay. Just because not it's bad. so important to get that homework done. Um, and at this point in the evening, the after dinner, which is about 7 to 7.30, that's when I, I think I call it the homework hustle, when parents sit with their children at the dining table and are actively sort of project managing the homework. Okay. And how does that, that work? I mean, particularly mm -hmm. for kids. I'm just thinking of my, my youngest who is very insistent on wanting to do everything herself. Doesn't want, yeah. to show, doesn't want to show anything to anybody, just wants to right. do it. Right. Well, I think there's a lot of confusion or a lack of clarity about what is the parent's role in homework. So I like to think of it as project management. It is not the parent's job to do the homework, but it is the parent's job to make sure that it's been done, that they know what the homework is, 
and that it's been done to a serious level of effort, which is not to say that it has to be correct, but it does have to reflect, you know, a serious effort. So those are two different things. So um, what parents should be doing is they should be sitting down with their child, looking at their homework planner. For many kids, even getting the homework neatly written down in the homework planner or whatever they use is a challenge. It's an organizational challenge that they learn over time. So even that step of parents sitting, you know, saying, show me what you've got for homework and making sure that the kid has written it down correctly, that's a very important parenting duty. Then asking the child, all right, which one, which task do you want to do first? Which assignment do you want to do first? And why would you do that one first? Is it because it's easy for you and it's a good one to just get done quickly? Or is it because you think it's going to be hard and you want to get it done while you're still sort of fresh? Um, having those kinds of conversations and helping the child be strategic about how they get their homework done is a very important developmental uh, process. It will help the child get better and better at thinking through how to do work and how to get it done and how to also face down tasks that they don't particularly want to do, but know they have to do. And then I advocate in the book the use of timers, which can be extremely helpful in getting the child to concentrate. Yeah, talk about that, how how you do that, because that can be kind of dicey too. Yeah, well, for most children and most adults, for that matter, concentrating on a task is quite difficult. And get, especially those first few minutes of uh, getting into a task are very difficult. And so um, I have found that using timers um, can be extremely effective at helping a child grow their concentration span. Because concentration is something that will expand with practice in a beautiful way. So with a child with very low attention span, I would say, all right, let's set a timer for 30 seconds. And here's what we're going to do. You're going to work on that worksheet for 30 seconds. And you're not going to look up. You're not going to do something else. You're not going to try to chat with me about something. If you find something difficult, you're just going to work through it until the timer goes off. And then when the timer goes off, you can have a 30-second break, and then we'll go back into it. What happens is, even just for 30 seconds, the child starts noticing that they're pretty good at solving problems. And they start actually enjoying the process of concentrating. They notice that instead of it feeling anxiety-inducing, it's actually kind of relaxing to be able to focus exclusively on one thing at a time. And they start solving problems that they Mm. might otherwise have turned into the parent's problem. Um, And so then you keep lengthening the time of the timer. You go to one minute, two minutes, three minutes, and the child you know, notices that they're able to work for longer and longer periods of time and they can see that they are getting their homework done well and quite fast. And um, it's a very satisfying experience and it pays off beautifully for the almost standardized exams too, where they have to concentrate for long periods of time. I like, it's like uh, a muscle. I like that 30-second thing because I think that the, the initial thing that popped into my mind and probably a lot of other people is five minutes. But five minutes may right. be a long time for especially right. a child at the young end of that range. That's right. And it, it's, you know, when it's nice and short, like 30 seconds, it feels fun. You know, it's not a big commitment. Anyone can concentrate. A five-year-old can concentrate for 30 seconds. And then you, you're sort of racing against the clock, which also helps concentration. Yeah. So it's a very effective tool, especially, you know, for any child or any adult for that matter. Um, 
And it helps us overcome some of the anxiety that a lot of us face as we begin working on something that, that makes us avoid the task altogether. Yeah. Now, we're, we're almost out of time. We have just about a minute left. But I, I think an important sure. important component of this, this uh, homework hustle part of it is getting ready for the, the next morning so that you can avoid yeah. the, where's your homework? What did you, what did you do with it? That's What's right. in your backpack? So that's making sure that the backpack is loaded the night before. That's right. So it ends absolutely with the parent assisting the child in packing the bag. It takes about five minutes. It's not about the parent packing the bag. It's about a conversation between parent and child saying, do you have this? Do you have that? Where did we put this? Where did we put that? And so it's all packed and ready to go by the door for the next day. And that's critically important. One thing for parents to realize is when you see that super organized child in your kid's class, that child didn't organize that bag themselves. They have a parent who understands that you have to do a lot of work with your child um, every night to help them um, organize themselves so that they turn into an organized person. Heather Miller is the author of Prime Time Parenting, the two-hour-a-day secret to raising great kids. Heather, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six... My days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, my beautiful son was born just a few weeks ago, and I'm overjoyed. But my wife is a different story. She's very down in the dumps, barely eats, and has no energy. I know that giving birth took a toll on her, but I'm worried. What should I do? About 70% of new mothers experience periods of mild sadness, weepiness, mood swings, sleep deprivation, loss of appetite, inability to make decisions, anger, or anxiety after a baby is born. These baby blues, which many believe are caused by hormonal shifts in a new mother's body, can last for hours or days, but in most cases they disappear within a few weeks. One researcher, Edward Hagen, however, believes that postpartum blues have less to do with hormones and is really caused by low levels of social support, especially from the dad. It could be, he says, the new mother's way of negotiating for more involvement from him. From your description, your wife is already exhibiting some of the symptoms of baby blues. Right now, there's not much you can do except be as supportive and involved as possible. Take on more of the child care responsibilities, encourage her to get out of the house for a while, and see to it that she's eating healthily. Most of what she's going through is completely normal and is nothing to worry about, so be patient and don't expect her to bounce back immediately. That said... For 10% to 20% of new moms, the baby blues develop into postpartum depression, which is more serious. According to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, postpartum depression, if not recognized and treated, may become worse or last longer than it needs to. 
Here are some symptoms to watch out for. Baby blues that don't go away after two weeks or feelings of depression, shame, or anger that surface a month or two after the birth. Feelings of sadness, doubt, guilt, helplessness, or hopelessness that begin to disrupt your partner's normal functioning. Unexplained episodes of crying. Major appetite changes or a significant decrease in sex drive. Inability to sleep when tired or sleeping most of the time even when the baby is awake or to take pleasure. Marked changes in appetite. Extreme concern and worry about the baby or a lack of interest in the baby and or other members of the family. Or worries that she'll harm the baby or herself or threats that she'll do either one. If your wife does develop postpartum depression, you'll have a major role to play in helping her cope with and overcome it. Here's what you need to do. First of all, remind her that the depression is not her fault, that you love her, the baby loves her, that she's doing a great job, and that the two of you will get through this together. Also, do as much of the housework and childcare as you can so she won't have to worry about not being able to get everything done herself. Encourage her to take breaks regularly and frequently. Encourage her to talk with you about what she's feeling and to see her doctor or a therapist. Take over enough of the nighttime baby duties so your partner can get at least five hours of uninterrupted sleep. This means that you'll probably do a feeding or two, which is a great way to get in some extra dad-baby bonding. Get regular breaks to relieve your own stress. Yes, she's relying on you to help her, but if you're falling apart yourself, you can't be an effective caregiver. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.